0: Welcome back to the Homeschool Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Bex Buzzy, and today is Thursday Teacher Talk. We went over last week some aspects of anticipation sets. Today, we're going to continue. This is part two. We're going to be talking about the different types of anticipatory sets you can use for the different types of learners. So go grab your coffee, go grab your tea, and a pen and paper because you're not going to want to miss what I have to say. Let's get into the podcast. Today is part two, anticipatory sets. We're going to be talking about the different types of learners. And I'm going to talk to you about how I use them in my classroom because I usually would have somewhere between 25 and 36 kids in my class. So I realized I'm not going to have the same exact learner. I made that mistake when I first started teaching When I first started teaching, I only taught one way, and I was just like, everybody needs to learn this one way because I don't know any other ways to teach, and I just wasn't thinking outside the box, right? I was a nervous teacher. It was my first year's teaching. I was in my 20s. Half of my students looked just like me, and I remember I used to get, I got yelled at by the principal for not having a, you know, a hall pass. It was really weird i was like oh my god i didn't know teachers were were, were supposed to have hall passes <laughs> got yelled at by the library where's your pass to the library i'm like uh <laughs> so you know you guys don't have to worry about that so anyways anticipatory sets we have a few, we have a couple of different learners that we're going to be talking about one of them is called the kinesthetic learner then we have the auditory learner visual learner, emotional learner, wow, okay, so that one was a big one for me, and the relevance learner. This type of student is also quite different, and and there's probably more. I'm not going to touch on all of them. I think probably you'll notice where your child is, and you'll probably also notice that they might have more than one way of learning in each different subject, right? So, like, this isn't going to be a a flat straight thing throughout their whole entire learning career, right? Like they are gonna be learning each subject and each one of these may touch a different aspect. So we gotta think about that, right? So like maybe in math, they are more of a visual learner, right? And let's say in history, they're more of a relevant learner, Right, but they still need some visuals to help them. But they have this extra thing that's going to, you know, really solidify the understanding and the comprehension of what they're going, what they're learning. So these are things I want you parents to think about. So let's tackle it in. So kinesthetic learners, okay, this is me. I know, I know me. I am always having to move. I remember when I first started teaching. I would have students that have to move around. And since I was such a scared and nervous teacher, I thought if they were moving around, that meant I was losing control of the classroom. So they couldn't move, they couldn't do anything because I was fearful. And I think sometimes we come into teaching thinking, oh, if it has to look like this, and if it doesn't look like this, then it's not its not like teaching or learning or whatever it is that we're doing is not actually happening. And that is the beauty of homeschool. I know I talked to a ton of parents who always keep telling me my child would be considered the bad kid. My kid would be considered the kid who is disruptive. That's why I keep them home because I want them to be able to feel free and do and be the person that they are. I remember I talked to this one lady um, and she told me that her son would actually Bounce off the wall. She's she was like, no, really, he would run into the wall and bounce off of it. <laughs> I started thinking like, oh my gosh, when you think about that in a classroom, it that wouldn't work. But she, with her understanding, said, I can do this. You know, I can teach my kid, and I'm gonna go for it. So he was com- really a kinesthetic learner, right? Like she had to have him doing a lot of manipulatives. And there are so many different ways that you can teach your child. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, this one way. So kinesthetic learners, they have to move, have them moving, have them acting. They can act out different things. That's what I used to do with my verbs, right? When I used to teach Spanish, I would have all my verbs out and I would have all my students get up. Now, all of them would be like, oh Miss Mrs. Well, back then when I was Martinez, Miss Martinez, I don't wanna do this. Oh, I don't wanna the truth was they really did. They just didn't want to be made fun of. And that's another thing that is so awesome about homeschool that kids don't have this complex. And that is so awesome. You know, we don't want them having to think about things that aren't even important, like. I have to look cool. So my students, I was like, you know what? Nobody in my class is cool. just going to let you know, everybody, you're all not cool. I'm not cool. You're not cool. Nobody's cool. So let's get to learning. (laughs) So we used to do that. So I would have them get up. And if the word was um, tocar la guitarra, and that means to play the guitar, I would have them all, you know, do the action of playing a guitar. And some kids really got into it. Some of them used their leg as a guitar. And that's when I started noticing they really were beginning to have fun and they were laughing. And when you have kids laughing, you know that there's joy happening. And the truth is, at the end of the day, yeah, we want them to learn a lot of information. But at the end of the day, what we really want is them to have a great experience within the learning realm, right? So that way when they become adults, that memory of joy happiness i remember myself laughing that is what we want also we can have them do using different manipulatives right i know people who have like these really cool sensory boxes i have a girl named tiffany bynum who i interviewed and she had a son who was highly sensory And she created these sensory boxes and she found that her son was spending a lot of time just playing in these boxes. And she was like, I was able to have two sips of coffee. (laughs) So I want you guys to think about that. You know, think about those sensory issues where, you know, I know for me sitting at the beach and just playing with the sand really relaxes my senses and also going into the water. And just floating where I actually don't have any more like that feeling of sensory. And I just feel super calm. So sensory things and using different manipulatives are really, really awesome to getting your child to focus, right? And to be able to interact with what they're learning. You can use clay to create things. You can use finger painting and you can use you know, just there's so many different things that kids can touch and feel and play with water and you know colors you know you can you can play with colors like water coloring and um i mean a lot of your parents are way more creative than i am so i'm just giving you some tips here and there you bought you guys could probably teach me some things so i think that's super cool and together we work together then we have auditory listeners I mean auditory learners right where in listening they learn they're able to process the information so also in spanish when i wanted them to learn a language and learn like the verbs i really wanted them to learn it in context so i would pull out a shakira song that was appropriate or um you know a ricky martin song that was fun to dance to and things like that and what i would have them do is we would listen to the song right? And I'd make sure that the words that I was teaching them were at least 10 of them were in the song, at least, right? I mean, you can go less. I just didn't have a lot of time. So I really had to think of my time requirements that you guys don't have. So that's, that was, that's awesome. So I would have them listen to a song, right? You would learn the song, There's this one song called Ay, 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 canta y no llores, porque cantando se alegra, cielito. You know, so it it was a really fun song. It was like, you know, um, ay, 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 uh, sing and don't cry, right? Canta y no llores. So it was a really, it still is. It's a very, very popular song in the Hispanic community. And I remember one day. You know all my students i had this one class that was so awesome i'll never forget them they were my 10th grade class in randolph high school in new jersey they just brought me so much joy and they really really wanted to learn the language and it was so much fun with them so i would bring in these authentic songs and i remember one day you know sitting at my door and watching my students walk away and three boys they're all arm in arm you know and they're swaying across the hall singing the song down the hall and they were just so proud of themselves that they were able to sing a song and they would come into class every day and they'd be like miss miss martinez this is when i was martinez um because when i was mrs buzzy i began to teach biology and chemistry so that's why i keep going back to um, Martinez. And anyways, um, they came into class and they were like, Miss Buzzy, I listen, I heard the song on the radio and I was able to sing with it. My mom was like so shocked, you know. And, you know, these are things that you can experience with your kids. So how cool is that, right? So then I would always take it to the next level. And then I'd be like, all right, guys, you know the song. So why don't you all now find another song, use the music, and you're going to write a rap song or write your own song and you're going to record it. I used to just challenge them to do things so creatively. And sometimes a couple of them just had a harder time with it. So I would pair them up with a person who was super creative and each person was able to utilize their, um, their gift. You know, some of them were more technical. Some of them really knew how to use the equipment. The other ones were really good with, um, you know, acting it out. So I, I always was okay with, two kids working together if one kid just wasn't able to do it. And that might be a technique you might want to use with your kids too. Like if you find that your kid's giving you a little bit of a hard time doing something, maybe pair up with a parent where the two of you can come together and your kids can come together and they can work together as a collaboration on whatever project that you guys want to, you know, have. Um, For me, it was writing rap songs. And man, did I get some really cool rap songs! I remember one of my students was like, "Can I recruit three other guys so they could be my background singers?" I was like, "Yes, but that, but they they have to do their own project still." So, um. I had one kid, he came in and what he did was he started outside the door and then he rolled in the classroom. <laughs> it was so funny. He rolled in the classroom, jumped up, and then the guys came from behind and they all had like this monopoly money and they were throwing it around. It was hysterical. It was probably the most fun. Um, and this was my middle school uh, years. And then we, they had, I also had them, you know, walking the halls and doing videos. It was just a lot, a lot of fun. Also, you can incorporate a suspenseful intro when it comes down to auditory listening, right? So, you know, pick a topic that you're teaching and you can find something that is really going to just make them think you know um you could do like a sherlock's home starting something you know something really fun where their eyeballs are just what is going on you know and that's a lot of fun so that for your auditory listeners those are a couple of things that i would do um i don't want to give you too much away because i want you guys to be creative as well and also then we have visual learners right so what i would also do is i would find like short clips right? So I, I love, 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 love movies. I am such a movie buff. When I was a kid, my mom and I, um, she was awesome. She would, every Friday, her and I would go to a movie together and then we would go to McDonald's. So me and mom had mommy and daughter dates every Friday and I just used to look forward to them so, so much. So I became a really huge movie buff. So I actually, When I watch movies now with my husband, I'm able to pick out, like, oh, that would be a great clip to watch, you know, to show my students. And I learned that in a a workshop at school because that wasn't something that I thought of on my own. I didn't even think you were allowed to do that. (laughs) So there were so many things that I just, I had, you know, Stereotypes, and I had, you know, what I learned in school, how to teach, right? So now there's so many different ways, and so many different, you know, technologies that are out there, that um, you know, that just wasn't out in the in the late '70s and the early '80s to early '90s when I graduated high school. So, anyways, yeah. So you can use a short clip, a short video movie clip and also you can use pictures i really love utilizing pictures sometimes i actually will have my students create pictures and then i use their photos as an intro to an to the second part of the lesson and i can make a gallery so i have the art all over the walls and i have students you know making comments on them and you know comments that are not just going to be like hey that's really pretty you know, actual critical thinking comments where they're going to be able to give constructive in criticism or give really positive, inf- positive feedback, but they just can't say, great job. I want to know, well, why do you think it's a great job? What about this makes it a great job, because I'm not going to let them get away with it, you know, so easily. So usually using visuals like that is a lot of fun. And then picture books. And I know a lot of you parents do that. And I love the fact that you do that. You introduce things through picture books. That is so much fun. I do that to my high school students, picture books, but I use it on a huge, um, you know, a Promethean board where I'm able to Uh, have the images on a large board, which makes it really easier for me. But you guys can use projectors, right? There's really inexpensive projectors that you could buy for like a hundred bucks. And not only that, the projector you can utilize for movie night, right? Movie night is so much fun. You could have that for movie night as well, where you have an experience with your kids, you know, outdoors and you have a projector and you can invite all the kids from around the block and the parents get together too. So that's always fun. And you can even use, you know, what I love about homeschooling is you can start your lesson. Like you can do your intro, your attention grabber the night before, right? Like, let's say you want to, I don't know, finding Nemo. I'm going to go back to my original focus question, right? The California coast, the kelp forest is you know disappearing a- along the california coast let's say you want to show them um, more about the california coast and you want to teach them more about the kelp forest right the night before you, you know you can have a neighborhood movie watch where they're all watching finding nemo that right there all the kids are watching it they're having fun they're learning and now you can take all the things that you that, that you saw On finding Nemo, and you can relate back to that over and over again. That's why these attention grabbers are so much fun. You can relate all of your lessons and you can point it back to the attention grabber that you use. Your attention grabber is such an important aspect of your lesson, and it's a focal point that you can just keep going back to. You can just keep going back to. So that's a lot of fun. Then you have the emotional learner they want to know the facts. They don't want opinion, right? So you can teach them the difference between fact and opinion. You can open up some pretty big debates, right? You can have a debate question where you would say, you know, let's go back to the kelp forest again. And we could say, what, you know, is is it is it worth even keeping the kelp forest alive? Now, your child has to think like, well, is it important because now you're 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 hitting them emotionally right they, they they live off importance they live off purpose these kids are the ones who are they they're feelers right so you hit that part because you're going to have some kids that are like i really don't care like i i've had kids who like so what let it die and i'd be like oh my gosh <laughs> it's like Okay. Okay. I know who you are. And, um, but I'd have some kids like they would say, yes, it's very important. And I'd be like, well, why, why is it important? And now I'm making them look for information and learn about things. And I'm, I'm tapping into their heartstrings. So they are searching for why is it important? Where other kids that might not be that thought provoking question, they might get more excited about the other things I was just talking about. Right. And so a couple of things you could do with emotional learners, you can do a fact versus opinion. You can do a debate and you can start asking them thought provoking questions. Right. And you know your child better than I do. So when you get into this area of attention grabbers and you're using the emotional aspects, you can also be teaching them social, you know, emotional intelligence here. Right. And The social emotional learning, we're not talking about the transformative, which is a huge like woke kind of thing where everybody is like, oh, we must not um, allow them to feel too much. You know, when you take away feeling from a child, you're taking away a very huge aspect of their life and you're desensitizing them. What I'm talking about here, social emotional learning is where they are taking responsibility you know, for their learning. They're realizing that, Hey, just cause I don't feel like doing something. That's not ro- a reason why I don't do it. Right. That's the emotional part. We're taking that part and we're telling, we're let it, we're teaching our kids, Hey, I get it. You're a little excited about this. I get it. This really makes you um, feel hurt. I I get it. This makes you feel this. We're teaching them how to behave within those high intense emotions. So we're giving them tools and tips to be able to utilize in learning and during these moments of debate where they're not going to fly off a handle, They're going to be able to have a normal conversation in a social environment. So I want you parents to really think about the two differences of social emotional learning. One of them is very woke and that is very, you know, they're all talking about, you know, just things that are going to actually handicap um, our children. What we're talking about is giving them the resources and the tools to be able to, you know, handle, those thoughts and emotions. So with that, you have the emotional learner and you have to remember they exist. Then we have the kid who's all about relevance, right? They're going to be able that you know, you can use a commercial, right? A commercial relevance, like a commercial based on what you're teaching them. Also, it also t- taps into other different aspects of learning, right? It taps into the visual, taps into the auditory, taps into the emotional, but the content and the context of the commercial is a little different than a movie, right? Commercials are built for, you know, quick and give you the information quickly and it, it's relevant to a situation, right and then you can also do student interest which is a lot of homeschools do that it's all about student interest which is fantastic so you can utilize different snippets of what it is that you're teaching your child that can go back again to the kelp forest student interest maybe they're interested in urchins right so that's a part of kelp forest urchins are a natural predator to the kelp forest so if they're super interested in urchins and the different types and you can make the focus about the urchins, but still learning about the kelp forest, it's very great ways of doing this, right? Then, um, you know, you can also create questions with your students. So now your kids are the ones asking the questions. So when you have your focus question, you can sit down with your kid. Okay, hey, we're going to learn about the California coast. The kelp forest is disappearing. What are some things that, that make you, that, that you start thinking about when you hear that question? And then your child can start really kind of like, oh my gosh, I have this question, this question, this question. And now don't don't say, oh, well, you know, that that, that, that question doesn't really make sense. Just write it down. Who cares? Who cares if it makes sense or not? Write them all down and then say, we're going to pick just three of these. Because you, you might have some questions that are not, that are off context, not, that that don't have any content um, basis towards what you're really learning. So that's perfectly fine. But let them ask the question, and then just pick three questions that do make sense. And you could be like, "Hey, this one sounds really good. I like that question. What about this one? This one?" And then you know, if they're really bent on one of the out of context questions, just go with it for now. But you still have two questions that are going to um, make sense. So. I hope this helps when it comes down to, you know, uh, attention grabbers and um, you know, hooks and you know, setting the stage for your main lesson. I really do tend to love the hooks and the attention grabbers and setting the stage up a lot more than I even like doing the lesson sometimes because I'm I'm definitely more of I, I'm more of an emotional learner. So I I actually will recreate different attention grabbers every single lesson that I have because I just realize how how, how the world right now, society is full of sensationalism. So it, it's really hard a lot of times to compete with that. Now, you parents have the option of, you know, minimizing the amount of sensationalism your kids do watch, right? So it will make your teaching and, you know, you opening up these different lessons to them a lot easier where me i have students who come from everywhere and some kids are just so very desensitized to any type of you know attention grab or a hook they're just kind of out of it but you all have an amazing opportunity here again i hope this helped if you have any questions please reach out my email address is r e a l d t a l k at gmail.com if there's anything you want to learn about or know about um just shoot me an email and i'll be able to make a podcast for it it's been really great spending time with you and i hope you guys have a great day see you next time if you love the conversations we're having here on the homeschool advantage podcast